Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 70. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. So, uh, we are deciding to do the same thing we always do when we eventually run out of ideas. So, twice a year, basically. Um, surprise, it's not more than that, but we're doing a mailbag. Yes, we are. And you know what? I should have learned from experience. I've done mailbags a few times in a written form. We've done this before on the podcast. And every time I'm like, gee, I hope we get enough questions. And then an hour later, I'm like, oh, wow, we have so many questions, which is great, by the way. I'm really grateful that we have so many people who actually want to take the time to ask what we think about stuff. We are going to try to at least make an effort to answer every single thing. There are a lot. So um, we're not deliberately trying to give anyone short shrift. We'll just try and go long on the topics where we can, but we got a lot to cover. So thank you to all of you who, uh, who responded. We do really appreciate the fact that we have so many people who do care to listen to us. So we're going to try and make it up to you by answering some questions. Um, so the first thing that we got is something that we've been seeing uh, going around a lot lately. And so we thought we would do this off the top. It's from Thomas Arato on Twitter. It said, why did it cost the Leafs a first round pick to move Marlowe, but Tampa can move Callahan for next to nothing? So the short funny. version of this is that they are not the same. It's not apples to apples in any way. Yes. And I saw some tweets moving around where people were kind of glibly mocking Kyle Dubas. And I got to tell you, I found that annoying because aside from the fact that these are both cap dump trades, they are extremely different. So let's break down exactly what happened here. At the end of June, the Leafs traded Patrick Marlowe and a first to the Carolina Hurricanes. And they got a seventh back, by the way, for those of you who care. And then the Carolina basically the Hur- same thing as a third. Yeah. <laughs> And so the Carolina Hurricanes bought out Patrick Marlowe. And so they had his cap hit. They had to pay about $3.8 million in real salary, including his signing bonus. And then that was it. His contract was gone. What the Tampa Bay Lightning did was a little different. They traded Ryan Callahan, who was injured and who was not going to likely ever play again, for Mike Condon, who is a overpaid goalie. They traded him to the Ottawa Senators, which is significant because the Ottawa Senators like to make these kinds of trades. And so Ryan Callahan had a cap hit of $5.8 million, but he had a real salary of a little less than that, 4.7, which is partly why this was so appealing to the Ottawa Senators. They took back Mike Condon, who has a $2.4 million cap hit, but made $3 million against the salary cap. Uh, Sorry, $3 million real salary. The net effect there is for Tampa to take on some real money obligations and for Ottawa to increase their cap it while reducing their real financial obligations because Callahan's contract is insured and because he's injured, insurance is paying most of his salary. What's happening there is a pretty specific exchange with a team that is trying desperately to stay above the cap floor while spending as little real salary as possible. That's what the Ottawa Senators are doing. At last calculation, when you account for the fact that they took guys who had signing bonuses paid, they took guys who are permanently on LTIR or who are uh, having their contracts paid by insurance, the result is that the Sens are paying an actual salary this year of something like $44 million. The salary cap floor is 61.5. They're really saving money. 
if you think about it, you can probably see right away why the Patrick Marlowe thing is less appealing to them because the Patrick Marlowe thing involved paying $3.8 million in real money, including a signing bonus, so a lot of it was payable pretty quickly, um, to buy a draft pick. Eugene Melnick is not going to pony up that kind of money for a draft pick pretty much ever. Then there's the complicating fact that Patrick Marlowe believed that he was going to join the San Jose Sharks. That hasn't happened yet. I don't know if it will, but that was his ambition. He only wanted to play in California, and the California teams were not capable of taking on his salary cap hit. They just weren't. So, And just to, just to yeah. emphasize this, the Leafs needed Marlowe's blessing in, in any deal, right? He had a no-move clause, and frankly, we were lucky that he waived it to the extent that he did, where he was, you know, allowed to, like where he got sent to Carolina, agreed to buy out, and then can move beyond that um, to wherever he wants. But we needed his consent. That is exactly where I was going, is because he has that no-move clause, he has to be on side with whatever we're doing. Patrick Marlowe did not want to retire. Patrick Marlowe wanted to keep playing and to keep playing in California. So he has to be either traded to the San Jose Sharks, which is impossible. They don't have the salary cap space at all. Or he had to be traded to someone who would buy him out. And then uh, they could go elsewhere. Otherwise, he wasn't signing on to the deal. Ryan Callahan is not going to play again. So his contract moving basically means nothing to him. He doesn't care. He's not playing regardless of where it is. Um, He doesn't really have any need to go to Ottawa. Um, at any point in the duration of this contract. So there were a lot of restricting factors by which the Leafs had way fewer options with Marlowe than they did, than the Bolts did with Callahan. Um, I think we've probably emphasized enough what a bad contract the Patrick Marlowe contract was, but you really see this thing in the tail there. Um, All of that said, anyone who's equating those Um, I certainly understand why you might superficially think that they are similar and why you might wonder, but I saw that sometimes from some people who want to know better. They're very different things. So as much as it's a painful price to pay for Patrick Marlowe, I think that the Leafs did as well as they could have on that one. Also, you alluded to the fact that Callahan is on long-term IR regardless. So while... I, I, I should... (laughs) <laughs> because Catch is going to slap me upside the head if I don't clarify this. Technically, they don't have to put him on yes. LTIR because the Sens have no salary cap concerns other than the floor anyway. Yeah, he's just eating dead cap permanent, space that doesn't really He's permanently really injured and his contract is played, paid by insurance. That's but from Tampa's perspective, they also gain less <clears throat> cap space than they would have th- than the Leafs do with the Marlowe thing, right? Because mm-hmm. Marlowe was not going to go on LTIR. LTIR is not quite like getting the exact same cap space back, but it's you know, you get some relief from not from that player being injured and that player uh, and being able to replace them. So having comparing having a player who has to be paid and you have no relief for, which is what the Leafs would have had with Marlowe, to having that player off your books is different from the player who's going to have to be LTIR'd versus off your books. They're both helpful, but the first is notably more helpful. Yeah, exactly. And so in, in all of those respects, it was a very different scenario. Um... There's another one, just to get the cap stuff out of the way right off the top. This was from Guizo on Twitter. Uh, What would happen if a team decided not to be cap compliant? I'm unclear on the consequences and wondered if teams could decide to pay fines as a sort of luxury tax. Short answer is no. Long answer is, 
every single NHL contract has to be certified by the league. When you sign a contract, it's not just done. It's sent to the league and then the league reviews it to confirm whether it's compliant with the salary cap. Uh, a good example of this was Mikhail Bodker had a contract where the salary moved around in a way that was against some pretty technical rules that we won't get into. And so the league said, nope, contract doesn't count, and they sent it back. And then the Sharks and Bodger had to write a new one that was a little different. If the league knows that you're trying to circumvent or just straight up ignore the salary cap, one, they can just stop certifying your contracts as you bring them in to do this. You know, if the Leafs are, let's say, at, um, you know, are completely capped out, and then they say, hey, we're just going to give Mitch Marner 18 million because who cares? Uh, the league can just decline to certify that contract. The contract will not exist in terms of it won't be paid, it won't be playable, and it would be outside the league's purview. That's it. Like, they just literally won't allow you to do this. If you get too cute with these circumventions and it happened that you had a contracts that were certified, one, they can go retroactively up to a point and decertify your contracts for you doing this, and two... There's a section of the CBA called the No Circumvention Clause, and it just says basically anything that is deemed to defeat the purposes of this agreement can be met with virtually any punishment that the commissioner thinks is appropriate. Gary Bettman has been very, I would say, hands-off about maybe pushing this. Like the, the other time that you could really remember it is the Ilya Kovalchuk thing, where they had this crazy-ass contract that he was expected to retire out of long before it was done. That was under the previous CBA. But by and large, the league is hands-off. But if Gary Bettman ever decided that he really wanted to, he could bring down fire and brimstone on any team that genuinely just decided to say, nope, fuck it, I'm going way over the cap. Uh, and the league as a whole would support him in that. They would not be super excited to hear that the Toronto Maple Leafs have just decided to ignore the rules yeah. and have a $150 million salary. And, and at that point, we're talking... Not just fines, which are I think a lot of people view as pretty toothless, and I understand that. Although even multi-billion-dollar organizations don't like million-dollar fines, but we're talking huge losses of draft picks, sanctions that could go very far out, like uh, things that are really, really detrimental to your team. And I mean, I guess you can make the argument where it's like, okay, well, if that stuff is all after the fact, well, why not spend one season, pay 150 million, and get win a cup, and then fuck whatever happens after. As yeah. you said, there's a good chance they don't even certify the contracts to get yeah. to that point. You, you, like, you can't do this, I would say, would be the big bottom line. I've laid it out in just like a little bit more detail, just because I think it's kind of fun as a thought exercise. But there is absolutely no way. And part of the reason that we have Brandon Pridham, and I suspect he makes a pretty nice salary, is to exploit the salary cap in ways that are nonetheless legal. So God bless him for that. Um. There was all, uh, so I think we've covered it off that one pretty well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this next one's from Sean Tierney, uh, who I'd like to note is a genuinely nice guy on Twitter and also does really cool hockey visualizations. He's at charting a hockey on Twitter. If you want to give him a follow, he does some cool stuff. He asked us three questions and they're all tough. So <laughs> he said, rank, uh, shore, Agostino, Patan, Goche and Spezza. So that's uh, a raft of depth forwards that... Who was the second guy again? 
Kenny Agostino. Oh, okay. Um, all right, yeah. I'm good. I'm gonna put so, like basic. So Gote's on the bottom. Let's just do a combined ranking. It'll be easier. Yeah, yeah. Gote's on the bottom. Gote's on I'm the bottom. Sure. I think I'll still put Spezza on the top because as much as he's declined yeah. from what he once was, which was a star forward, he's still about a league average forward with above average playmaking and power play specialist. Which, when you're compared to a bunch of fourth liners, means you're a star. I think so, I think I go Spezza, Spezza. then Shore. Yeah, exactly. That's where I was going to. Uh, sure, the last time he played in the NHL had a lot of numbers that made it really curious to me that no one signed him. Like, he looked terrific by every stat. He seemed like the dream fourth-line center. Um, good at face-offs, decent point production in the bottom six role. So I'm glad that he's back. So Spezza then sure. The trick is Agostino and Patan. Um, Agostino, I don't know that well. Nick me neither. Patan, I know a little bit more, and I like. But even with Patan, I don't um, think we so, know him that well, because like, he pretty much had no meaningful NHL time last year. That's a big gap. No. I know what I'm told about him is the thing. is that, you know There are a lot of Winnipeg Jets fans that I follow or know from Twitter, and they a lot of them liked him because I follow you know nerds. But um, That's not very high confidence. Yeah, it really gets fuzzy around the edges there. And then Goche, uh, God bless him. He's the nicest guy. He's also like, you know, he's like a 14th forward. I would not be surprised if Goche ended up getting waived this year. You know, sorry. To clarify, in order, we're going to go with um, Spezza, Shore, Patan, Agostino, Goche. Yes. Okay. Um, I regret I'm going to disappoint Sean a little bit on the next uh, couple questions. Top three Stranger Things characters. I don't watch enough TV. I don't know what happens on Stranger Things. I don't have I Netflix. Ooh, look at you, hipster. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not hip and fashionable. Everyone talks about it. And I know that there's a character named Eleven, which reminds me of someone I knew in my high school who was also named Eleven, and that makes me laugh. Um, unfortunately, I'll have to punt on that one. And then the third one is Carl Sagan or Neil deGrasse Tyson, who are two uh, kind of public intellectual scientists who have both hosted Cosmos and kind of educate the public. Um, Carl Sagan's kind of the classic. I think you have to go to him as the granddaddy of the form. I think that, you know, it is a real gift to get people to like science and to feel uh, interested in this sort of stuff and to kind of nurture that sense of wonder that people feel about the universe without intimidating them with how complex it can be at times. So yeah, I'll say Carl Sagan. I've never seen either of those two people. Like, I know who they are. <laughs> like, yeah. if, but, well, actually, if you ask me to pick Carl, is it Sagan or Sagan? I mean, you know me. I've never pronounced the surname correctly in my life on the entire okay. history of this podcast. Well, so it's probably whatever if, I said it wasn't. If you asked me to pick out Carl out of a police lineup, I wouldn't be able to do it. Oh, he looked like kind of like a 70s cool professor guy. Anyway, but, not a Yeah, point. okay. <laughs> we should move on to the next question. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you uh, very much, Sean. We promise we'll try and learn more about popular culture the next time we do questions. Um, this next one is from... Uh, Sweetwater1981, who's a regular listener of ours and who is therefore uh, owning me online. He said, which analytics stats are most useful, which have the greatest margin for error? I look at lots of them online, but I have to trust that they are 100% on point. I'm not a mathematician. 
Uh, Fulaman can probably sit this question out. <laughs> that, that hurts, but it's also probably true. Do you want to take the lead on this one? Yeah, so I mean, so the question is like, which stats are, have, are like the most reliable and which stats have the most margin for error? I, I mean, that's a tough question to answer because a lot of the stats that we have, they, they are estimates of things and they don't report their, you know, standard errors, which is something that I, I think should change. And I think we're seeing some some big names in the hockey analytics world kind of start to make um, make progressions down that road. So, it, But the, the point is, from afar, it's hard to say which ones are, you know, have huge error bars around them. The ones I find particularly useful um, are Micah McCurdy's Isolated Threat and Evolving Wild's RAPM. And both of these are uh, methods to attempt to estimate how well an individual player drives play essentially accounting for their teammates their competition their usage and all that sorts of thing so it's a very it's very useful in that sense um these aren't perfect they still struggle in certain situations they still struggle if someone has a lot of time with one player and not a lot of time with another so you'll you'll see a lot of people especially now because marner is not very popular on leafs twitter you'll see a lot of people pointing out that mitch marner's rapm last year was not very good and it wasn't very good essentially because in his minutes away from John Tavares, he didn't do very well. But that was, you know, 200 minutes spread out over 80 games. That's not a lot of time. So it's hard to actually, like, assess that. Um, I, I tend to tr want to use two- to three-year samples for that exact reason. But with young players, that's also problematic because you're lumping in 19-year-old Mitch Marner with 21-year-old Mitch Marner. And that's not very fair because those are ages where we can expect really significant growth. Right. And even for free agent signings, um, you can see that like, you know, Jason Spezza, uh, for example, what he is last year is different from what he was two years ago, right? Con considerably different in some cases. Um, so even with that, like isolated threat and RAPM, they can vary pretty heavily from season to season. So I wouldn't say they're like completely. I don't think we're completely uh, isolating talent and kind of getting rid of everything else but it's the best approximation we have of that um other things i like i think looking at microstats is interesting i think people put too much stock in them and that's not really because of microstats themselves and to be clear by microstats i mean zone entry zone exits um possession recoveries stuff that export logic tracks um there, there's stuff that seems useful in principle, but I don't think the data set we have at this point is rich enough to really make clear and declarative statements about a lot of players. In some cases, it is. Like, if you have a full season of tracking data for a player and all their zone entries and zone exits, I'm comfortable using that to say something. But too often, I see people compare, you know, marginal third-pairing defensemen zone exits. <clears throat> And in that case, it's like, well, you know, we're looking at a really small sample here. There's a lot of teammate effects. There's a lot of system effects there. That's something I'm not as comfortable with. And that, I think, has a reasonable amount of, of variation where I don't want to say that they're, they're junk because they're definitely not. But I think you have to be very, very careful about not getting carried away with them and kind of just take them for exactly what they are telling you and don't read into it any further than that. Um, in terms of other things... I. These are very obvious ones. I like points, point rates instead of using points per game or total points. Um, it can mislead in some 
cases, especially because of lower end players. Um, but for the most part, the people who you expect to be good at scoring are good at scoring. And I think for most players, playing an additional minute or two a game wouldn't impact their scoring rate that drastically. Um, it may impact it slightly, like you have to consider fatigue and things like that. But by and large, you know, among the class of regular NHL players, I'm comfortable using scoring rate as a method to determine how good a player is at scoring as opposed to point totals or points per game. Um, people are also, sorry, I'm kind of going on and on about this. Um, people like to use GAR models now, goals above replacement models or wins above replacement models. Um, I don't use them that much except for um, like awards voting, like hypothetical awards. Right, I, I, it, the GAR models we have are completely retrospective, so they're not a measure of talent necessarily. They're a measure of what happened. The example I like to give is that um, in 2017-18, Sidney Crosby had one of his worst seasons by GAR, I believe, and part of that's because for the first time in a long time, he had a really low on-ice shooting percentage. How much of that is Crosby's fault? Probably not that much. Probably just a shit happens here, right? So. I mean, I wrote a big article for The Athletic about a year ago discussing goals above replacement. I'd recommend uh, looking at that if you have an Athletic subscription. Um, they're they're very useful, but th they don't measure what I think a lot of people think they measure. I think some people use them to measure, you know, is X player better than Y player? And I don't think GAR models tell you that, except especially not in single year samples, over large periods more so, but definitely not in single year samples. And I think mm -hmm. GAR projections are, are similarly a little... I don't put that much faith in them because I don't really... I, I think at a certain point, you're, you're predicting whether something's, a coin's going to land on heads or tails. Is this guy going to be lucky and have a high shooting percentage this year, or is he going to be unlucky? You know, that's, that's a huge part of it. Is this guy's goaltender going to be Carey Price, or is it going to be Vesetoskala? You know, that, that, <laughs> that drives a significant amount of value in terms of goals above replacement right that's why when william carlson had that like 40 goal season he was like one of the highest uh, gar players by Korska, right and like that that's correct when viewed through the lens of who did the most to help their team win this year well a guy who scores 45 goals certainly does that right mm -hmm. but that doesn't necessarily tell you okay is william carlson going to be a good player going forward or is he going to be the same player going forward uh, you know that's it's a different yeah. it's a different question so you have to be careful about that and i i, I don't I don't think we have eliminated team effects from this stuff yet, right? So, like, I don't know, like, with Kevin Shattenkirk in, in St. Louis and Washington, he was, like, his, his goals above replacement was, like, average, I think, to above average. And then he goes to New York and it tanks. And I don't think he suddenly got way, way worse at hockey. I think there's, like, he, he was put in a bigger role than he probably could handle. And there, his team was bad and he probably got a bit unlucky. And there's a lot of cascading factors there. Mm-hmm. I'd like to have Alan on, actually, when, when we're going to plan on having Alan at Loser Points on at some point later this offseason, and we can probably discuss that, because he, he has a good handle on these these models as well. Okay, and so on to our next question. This is from our good friend Acharya, or uh, Tanya Rezak on Twitter. What is your second favorite team, and what is your least favorite hockey team? Hmm. I don't know that I have a second favorite hockey team. I have teams that I feel fondly towards, relatively speaking. Honestly, but, my second um, favorite hockey team is probably the Swedish national hockey team. 
Oh, the Sweet Shackle. Yeah. Yeah. The jerseys are so good. Honestly, my favorite jerseys in the world that are non-Leafs are the Swedish Blues and then the Yokerit team jerseys mm-hmm. for obvious Yeah, reasons. I don't know. I've, I've always... But, uh, in, in most cases, actually, everything for everything except Olympics, I, I tend to root for Sweden over Canada. And I have... I think I think it's basically mm. just because Matt Sandin was like my favorite player growing up, so I always wanted him to win. Um, so that that's held true even now. So I, I honestly think Team Sweden is my second favorite team in terms of hockey. If we're talking NHL teams, I don't know. I I honestly I I, I I've had good interactions with Tampa fans through Acharya and through Allen, so I do actually kind of root for mm-hmm. them, even though they're a division rival. Like, I'm not mad to see their success, Same. especially because they're a smart yeah. team as well. It's easy to root for them. They're not like, no, 1980s truculents. Yeah, exactly. I, I'd like um, San Jose to win a cup. Just, yeah, it's mostly I, Joe Thornton. I, I like San Jose, so. too. Yeah. And, and actually, uh, like, now, that, yeah. now that Carlson's in San Jose as well, like, when he was in Ottawa, obviously I'm not going to root for Ottawa in pretty much any circumstance, but, like, Carlson's a magnificent yeah. player, so I'd like to see him win a, a cup if the Leafs can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's about in line. Least favorite team is kind of um, kind of tough, actually, because I, you know, I dislike a lot of teams, but I think it has to be the Habs for me. Like they're the old en- enemy. As much as I dislike the Bruins and the Sens or whatever, you know, in the end, the Habs are the Joker to our Batman or vice versa. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I don't know. I think it's probably the it's I don't think it's the Bruins actually the Bruins I'm just kind of I respect the Bruins that's the thing where it's like <laughs> I I think they're a good team right and it's like okay it's like okay hard to be and I, I hate playing them but like I don't know I don't despise them the way I despise the Senators for example because I think the Senators are an embarrassment to hockey and like with their current ownership, they just should not have a team. They're, it's a disgrace to, it's a disgrace to the city. Like I have nothing against the city of Ottawa, which you know, seems fine, seems nice, but the Senators themselves are just an absolutely god awful franchise, and like they're so incompetent, and it, it makes me annoyed to see that like, there's only 31, soon to be 32 of these franchises, and one of them is just like swirling down the drain, for no particular reason, other than the arrogance of some rich con man. Yeah, it's it's bad. It, you know, it's almost gotten to the point where it's like, I, I always dislike the Sens. You know, they have that kind of embittered little brother syndrome towards Toronto. And we had a lot of playoff series against them. Uh, Which we won, the all, by the century. way. Yeah, uh, undefeated. Just saying. But it, Melnick is so bad that it's kind of gotten to the point where I'm like, this is just cruel. Like, I don't even, like, as much as it's very funny to me, and to be clear... I am going to keep laughing at the Sens as long as I possibly can. But, like, I'm almost like, this is too much. Like, no one deserves to have Eugene Melnick on their sports team. It's just, he's too terrible. Um, You know, it's a little convenient because he's absolutely sewered what might have been a divisional rival. But, yeah. So, anyway, but, yeah, the Habs are, like, the, the old classic enemy. The Sens, it's, like, there's almost some pity mixed in there now for me. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, 
Next up, from Leafer1984, if you had to pick your favorite episode of any TV show ever, what would it be? I mean, I don't really watch that much TV, so I, I need to think about this for a minute. Oh, my answer is definitely Meet the Veals from the second season of Arrested Development. There is a sequence in the middle of that episode where they cash in about four jokes that they've been building up all season in 10 seconds. And I was crying. Uh, I want to give an honorable mention to something that no one has heard of but me. Uh, there was a show called Stella that lasted exactly one season and it had Michael Ian Black and Michael Showalter in it. And I don't know that anyone watched it, but it was this extremely weird, surreal comedy. And there's an episode of it called The Campaign where they just randomly decide to run for the head of their condo board. And it's 22 minutes and it spirals out of control in the funniest way that I've ever seen. I quote that episode to my like one friend who's seen it all the time. And so if you take nothing else away from <laughs> this podcast and you want just a random recommendation, watch the campaign episode of Stella. So there you go. Free recommendation there. Um, I'm going to be like super basic. I think the season two finale of The Office US was really good. I think it's mm -hmm. called Casino Night. That was that was a good episode. Can't beat the classics, right? Uh, this is from uh, another of our uh, most regular listeners. This is Michael Zanette, Zanette on Twitter. Who hates the Leafs more, Steve Simmons or Damian Cox? Uh, I think Steve Simmons hates people. I think Damian Cox just really wishes he were writing about tennis. This is actually yeah. something that I've noticed. Yeah. It's just, if you ever like read Cox or like see him about tennis, he seems to be enjoying himself a lot more and he's a lot less annoying as a consequence i also think that cox is a little smarter so <laughs> I, don't I don't i don't think either really hate the leafs i just think they know no their bread is buttered as trolls yeah i think simmons genuinely did not like phil kessel like you can't take a hatchet to somebody like that yeah yeah if there's a bit of a personal bent to it but uh yeah you know anyway <laughs> neither of them are winners um, this next one is from Impossimich, which is uh, an extremely apt Twitter handle. If all the RFAs remain unsigned going into the season, what are the CBA regulations regarding them going off and forming their own hockey league with blackjack and hookers? <laughs> I mean, there's nothing stopping I mean, them. No, because they don't have a contract. And so if they want to, you know, I guess, you know, tour the arenas of our country like a roving gang of uh, vaudeville stars and skate around... Technically, they can. Um, starting sports leagues is obscenely difficult and expensive. Mm. You need a huge opening and a ton of startup capital and all sorts of things. It's and, really and you have to be willing to like hard. lose money. This is actually one of the big things with like women's soccer. And a lot of the arguments mm -hmm. are like, oh, why hasn't women's soccer taken off? It's because no one's been willing to lose huge amounts of money on it for like 10, 20 years the way they have with men's soccer. Like MLS still is not profitable. Mm -hmm. right it's slowly getting to the point where it's sustainable but no one's done that with women's soccer for whatever reason right like that's a huge part of it you need to have a billionaire who doesn't mind losing some money for some time yeah and a lot of men's sports teams you know they're they're vanity projects it's when you have yeah a certain amount of money there are only so many things you can do with it besides you know like maybe take up a coke habit and so 
you know, owning a sports team is considered uh, worth it in and of itself, even if you lose money on it. And for a lot of reasons related to, you know, societal expectations and gender prejudice, um, that kind of ego thing doesn't seem to attract ownership to women's soccer or women's hockey in the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, that's something to ruminate on. Uh, This is from our good friend and fellow PPP writer, El Saldo, uh, Adam. Why did the Leafs fight for the league-wide retirement of number 99 for Gretzky and (laughs) demand respect for Wilf Paymont, who also had the number 99? Uh... This is just a good jumping off point to say that I think retired numbers should expire. After 20 years, I think that your number should be freed up again. You're gone. You, d- you shouldn't own it forever. Also, Gretzky's number should not have been retired league-wide. I'm sorry. He was great, but, like, it's a number. We only have 100 of them. I don't know. Yeah. I just think yeah. that it's a little much. <laughs> I agree. I mean, uh, we didn't cover this on the podcast because it was so stupid, but, like, the the talk about like you know William Neander changed to 88 and then Nikita Gusev is 97 and I mean to be fair the outrage of this is like overblown because for the most part it's like five guys with like themselves in backwards baseball hats on their Twitter profile picture with like a combined (laughs) 40 followers who are like bleeding about this to no one yeah and their 40 (laughs) followers are like porn bots but yeah like there, there isn't actual actually any outrage so it's like the outrage to the outrage is actually probably more annoying to me than the original outrage because the original outrage it's like it's like contained it's quarantined in their little porn bot bubble <laughs> yeah but then only like Ashley someone miller are here to see it but yeah exactly but then someone like quote tweets them trying to dunk on them and then it infects everyone i'd like to just say as long as we're here uh Go easy on the quote tweets. If you're thinking of quote tweeting something to dunk on them, think to yourself, is this really, really good? Is this like an 8 out of 10 or better? Or am I just doing this to do it? Um, Yeah, there are some people who just like they seem to, their existence seems to be, I'm going to find the dumbest people in my sort of sphere of Twitter and just dunk on them relentlessly. It's like, just slow down a little bit. Anyway. That's a plea that's not going to go anywhere, but I tried. Anyway, um, yeah, no one should actually ever be really mad about this whole number thing. It does not matter. Um, this is from Hardev, at uh, Hardevlad on Twitter, uh, also a fellow writer and friend of the friend of ours. Uh, what do you think the Jays' summer will have on the fan base? Well, they'll still be cheering for a baseball team, and that means that they're going to be bored out of their skull 99 times out of 100. So that's my opinion. Yeah, I, I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I'm a really bandwagon baseball fan, which means I've had mm-hmm. like two times where I was really into the Jays. And then other than that, mm-hmm. I'm just like kind of out on them. Yeah, I was really into the Jays for like a couple years when I was in middle school because I had a crush on a girl who was also into the Jays. And that's pretty much it. That and the bat flip are really the only memories I have of the Jays. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, who knows what'll happen, but, uh, how would the hockey universe have been different if the Toronto Maple Leafs as a team never existed? That's from Bry Gray on Twitter. Um, gee, like the original five instead of the original six. 
I mean, the thing is, is that the Toronto hockey market is so big. Yeah. And so obvious that like if the Le- the Leafs didn't exist it would have been necessary to invent them sort of thing like a team would have <laughs> gone there yeah um, yeah I, I, it's hard it's hard there. for me to think of the premise of a premise of this question that makes sense are we saying that like yeah. no hockey can be had in Toronto in general because then then you'll just end up with like the Mississauga whatever so that's the NHL team if we're saying like nothing in the GTA then I think the answer is the NHL would just be a lot smaller than it is. And also yeah. the Toronto Raptors would have the biggest fan base in the NBA. Yeah, I think both those things are too. It would be interesting to um, to think about like how the city would have differed almost because the Leafs are such like a, a cultural force in this country. Like, yeah. I, I am kind of intrigued by some of the thoughts about the question. It's just so hard to to even imagine like all the ramifications. yeah because it's so ingrained i mean the, the raptors they wouldn't actually be the biggest fan base in the nba but they would be they, they would have more eyes on them in toronto which is saying a lot because they're already in the city of toronto itself you know not ignoring the surrounding areas in the city of toronto itself but they're arguably more popular or as popular as the leafs are right now especially coming off a title mm-hmm. yeah you know uh, it's interesting to think about i, I would say if you just sort of try to, to narrow it a little bit like how would the league be different without the Leafs in it uh, I mean they would make somewhat less money it would be yeah it would be interesting if there would be if there was less of that gravity thing you would have a lot less how about the Leafs I don't know if you know but how does this affect the New York Rangers has exactly the same ring to it in terms of how every story gets spun um, yeah so it would be almost like there would be a black hole um where you know the the center used to be it's kind of weird to think about mm-hmm. um this is from jared of london who is a long time very long time ppp commenter and he asked he's, he's the gretzky important... of ppp commenters like his his comments record is pretty it's hard to see anyone breaking that because he's still active too yeah this is uh just sort of an aside i have something like forty five thousand comments on pension plan puppets a site that i've been on for like six years that i read before that that i've written for for over three now um that's a problem for me frankly i probably should get off the internet but i can't jared has like bordering on two hundred thousand. yeah he's in a league of his own anyway he asked us the very important question of beans are they really the musical fruit uh i'm pretty sure jared has a very <laughs> very young daughter at home and so if you've noticed one thing about new parents is that suddenly uh, bodily functions come back into your life in a very major way. <laughs> so that's probably why he asked us a question about farts. Um, Beans are neither yeah, magical I don't have nor fruit. <laughs> or musical, rather. They're not Fact. magical or musical. Yeah, facts are facts. Beans are overrated. We, we are a fact-based hockey podcast. <laughs> Um, speaking of Alan at loser points on Twitter, what are your top five horror movies of all time? I don't care if you don't like horror movies, pause. I don't, you have to do it. So we're committed, uh, in the honor of the mailbag podcast. I'm not Um, sure I can name five horror movies. What this podcast is exposing is how little of a life that you and I have outside of talking about hockey. Yeah. You know what I, I can do about 
three things, and it's hockey, a frankly disturbing collection of indie music that nobody really wants to listen to, and then a bunch of random history stuff. Those are my three things, and I am so limited outside them. The best movie I've ever seen that I think was horror was 28 Days Later. I thought that was actually a good movie, in addition to being a horror movie. Um, was E.T. a I've horror movie? A f- <laughs> no, that's it. Sorry, I.T. <laughs> <laughs> Basically the same thing. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, I, I genuinely would struggle to answer this question. I, I will say I've liked a few Stephen King books. Like I've read a few of his things, and I think that he's actually better when he limits the amount of horror like he deploys it more selectively so that it's like one element as opposed to being the whole the whole meal but uh yeah i, I like i'm trying to think if i can actually name five does get out count as a horror movie sinful. oh yeah i think get out counts as a horror movie that's okay. got to be on the list that's a really good yeah. movie. yeah that, that was a good movie um, um there was that movie with john krasinski where like it's like bird box but with sound a quiet basically place? Yeah, that one. That was decent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This is riveting radio. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're just like extremely struggling to answer five horror movies. Yeah, we've done our best, Alan. But unless you want me to be like, make a case for like how to lose a guy in 10 days is actually a horror film. <laughs> it's a cautionary like tale about the lives of any hockey blogger. <laughs> yeah, so... Well, we're going to have to punt on that one. Uh, This next one's from Aquaricorn. Uh, Can you please tell why the Leafs can't and shouldn't sign Shattenkirk because we have only two roster spots left? I would like to say emphatically that it is not that hard to clear contract space if you have to. Yeah. Um, Teams do it all the time. You may want to keep a couple open just for ease and flexibility. But if the Leafs really think that they can improve their team by signing Kevin Shattenkirk... They are not going to be impeded from doing that by the contract limit. They will be able to make that work with very little impact on the NHL. Apparently, team. we have so. yes, we have forty-eight right now, um, and that doesn't include Marner. Mm-hmm. So assume we sign Marner. I mean, just like and probably just jettison Pontus Aberg. Yeah. Like, what's he doing here? Who cares? <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> yeah, sorry, man, we tried. Like, trade trade Ben Harper for a conditional forty-fifth round pick. It doesn't matter. <laughs> That's where the real gems are. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I would say this is genuinely not something to worry about. Yeah. Uh, next. You, you, can, yeah. You, you may remember the five-for-one trade that Lou Lamoretto did, I think, where he traded, like, five middling prospects for um, Michael Grabner. And I think the only prospect in that set who has done anything of note is Carter Verhage, who, who led the AHL in scoring last year. He's 24. And, mm-hmm. I mean... It, even for him, like it's like, and he's been by far the most successful of those prospects. He's still not really an NHLer. You can argue maybe he will be one if you're really, really optimistic. You can say, hey, he's kind of like Andreas Janssen, but most yeah. likely he's going to be a quadruple A player. At the time of the trade, also he was going into play in the ECHL. Like, even if that's like, you know, even if he's the argument for like the perils of giving up a lot of contracts just to clear space, he was kind of a fluke. Like he he's grown probably more than we would have expected. Anyway, uh, this next one's from uh, Lash God on Twitter. Can you create your dream top two lines using Leaf players from your lifetime? So 
His example was McGilney, Sundin, Berezin, Gilmore, Matthews, Grabowski, Cabrillet, Yuskevich, Rowley, Kavina, and then Potvin and Anderson and Ned. I feel like you could do better than that, right? Or is this just like favorite players, yeah, not like best players? Yeah, I actually like I uh, I talked with him a little bit after on this one, and he was talking about like it's sort of a balance between like what do you think is the absolute best team, which is just what would you kind of see like who are players that you really liked um, or enjoyed that stood out to you. Yeah, because if it's like best team, it's like okay, you know, Matthews, Sundin, uh, Magoni, Tavares, Marner, and I don't know Kessel, right? Or, like yeah, yeah. that wouldn't be the actual one, but like it's it you would choose something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Are there players that like don't make that forward lineup that stand out for you in terms of like you just like really like them? Um, Berzin's actually one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else though? You know what I? This 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 is like somewhat embarrassing, but I always kind of like Joey Crab. Not when he was like on the first line. That was a bit much. Yeah. Well. But like. Yeah, but you root for him. Yeah, I, I kind I I didn't hate the Joey Crab experience. Um, who else? Yeah, forwards. I mean, the Leafs have never really had like star forwards. It's, we've had like a decent set of middle guys. Like Clark MacArthur, I think, is the other one who I would say is like. I, I mean, oh, that's I loved peak. It. Well, I love that whole Grabo, Kuhleman, yeah. MacArthur line. Like, I genuinely yeah, like, really I, liked that line. Yeah, and it, it was like, it always felt like they were overachieving by doing anything. And like, they, they legitimately were like a good enough second line for some time. Like, I, I maintain that could be the second line on a good team when they were all at their peaks. Um, yeah. Granted, Kuhleman's peak lasted a year. It was a beautiful year while it lasted, though. He's like, he's the ultimate example of what happens when you're shooting percentage doubles for a season. Like, yeah, he quite exactly. literally went from being a 15-goal guy to a 30-goal guy. But, yeah. Anyway, Kuhleman obviously has to make my lineup if we're counting on affection. Um, mm-hmm. This is probably a good place to share why exactly I chose Kuhleman. Uh, I was dating my now fiancé forever ago, and we were just watching a Leafs game. And she just pointed him out, and um, she was like, he looks so sad, but he's trying his best. And I identified with that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, oh, it's <laughs> such yeah. a sad and, story. And, you know, and then it, <laughs> I know, and then so I thought how funny it was one to combine his name with a DMX lyric. This made me laugh anyway. And then two, he has like the most like melancholy expression. And then you put a little jester hat on him. It looks so stupid. Anyway, and so I have spun that joke that like I thought of off the cuff like years ago into a whole identity on the internet. So. Yeah. All your dreams, kids. Um, if, on defense, if we move to defense. Uh, he, yeah, sorry, go ahead. So if we move to defense, uh, I would have Brian Leach there. I know we only saw him for 22 games. Mm-hmm. But he was he was really fucking good. Even, like, he was old at that point, too. Oh. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> we, we were so starved for, like, really good defensemen forever. Like, it's really never gone away. And Yeah, um, I mean, like... And, and, yeah. and even when we did have really good defense, like Caberlet was great, McCabe was very good as well. Um, mm-hmm. They they weren't Norris caliber. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we were like a limited team. He, you know, he's named uh, Dmitry Yushkevich. I love Yushkevich. He's Me too. Probably one of those guys where I'm like, stats might ruin him for me. I'm like afraid that I would find out that he had like a forty three percent CF or whatever. But yeah. he was a heart and soul guy to the fucking gills you know didn't he have that like really scary blood clot injury too 
Um, yeah, I think it was him. It wasn't... He either had a blood clot thing or it was... Um, we had one player who cut himself on like a skate lace or something and it got infected and it really got out of control for a while. Yeah. But I think that might have been a different player. But yeah, like he won. Wasn't that Peter Holland? Was, wasn't that Peter Holland? Who he had like lace bite. He had lace bite. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, so I think Yushki was the um yeah. the, the blood clot. But yeah, man, great. The other guy I'd put there. on that list also, is Yep. Yeah. Uh the other guy I'd put on that list is um two eyed Brian Burrard. Oh god. You know, like that's a really sad story. It is. It was, like, like in terms of like cuz he was going to be a very very good defenseman I really believe. Yeah, and it's um, a total freak accident, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's really shitty. Yeah. Anyway. It, it makes me yeah. wonder like it makes me wonder why and I I know there's probably reasons for this, but like why don't they mandate full cages even in the NHL? Just pure machismo. I think the like, argument is like, like they, oh, like it had to. Yeah. The argument's like, oh, it'll make people feel too, like, safe, so they'll be more reckless. But it's like, yeah. I mean, didn't we cross that bridge with helmets and shoulder pads? And oh yeah, well, the truth is, is that it's something that is fine, and if you ever mandate it, you'll have a period of a couple of years where a bunch of the old guys kind of complain about it or whatever. You probably grandfather it in, and then it becomes natural, and no one cares anymore. They're already about done with visors. There are very few guys left who don't have one. Because, yeah. again, they grandfathered it. Um, yeah, anyway, I, I honestly, I never really noticed a difference. And now, granted, I played it at, like, a very low level. Like, I peaked in terms of high school hockey. Um, that was as far as I went. But um, I never had a problem even playing with a cage. Like, it Me did neither. not affect my visibility at all. And yeah, I, I, I think I... it's mostly psychological, so... Yeah, like granted, I'm pro- I'm worse than you at hockey, even. So, you know, we're not the people to talk about <laughs> this. To the like, bottom between the two of us. Yeah, like even in beer league though, like I see people who aren't wearing uh, full cages, and like it, I, I, in my head, I'm like, dude, like it's not worth like the dental surgery you get if a puck just deflects into your jaw. Yeah, like buddy, come on, we're not playing to make the NHL here. We're in like the sea level of the thursday night league or something yeah <laughs> Maybe it's like take we're it all easy. we're all fat and out of shape like we just want to get through this without throwing up and then have a beer in the locker room exactly that's the whole thing top to bottom and, and you, you know, can't have a beer in the locker room up. if your jaw is wired shut <laughs> we should put that on bumper stickers yeah um, yeah so in terms of goalies uh, he's named uh felix potvin whom i adored and Freddie Anderson. Uh, I, I did love James Reimer. He's not as good a goalie as those guys, but yeah. he was... Uh, Cujo was always my favorite growing up. I liked him, but he did break my heart one series against the the Sabres. It just... I don't know. Anyway, he's a good goalie, but uh, <laughs> I'm still kind of sad about like those two times we made the conference finals in 99 and 2002. Because, and I didn't realize this at the time, that was as close as we were going to come for a very long time. Yep. So, anyway. Uh, this next one is from, uh, yeah, another uh, someone we see on Twitter a lot around the podcast. It's from Mike McKinnis, McKinnis 68 uh, I'd like to hear point predictions in terms of goals and assists for Willie and any other players you care about. These are tough 
it's really hard to predict points. Yeah, and Dom um, Shishin hasn't come out with his projection, so I can't just steal from him. Yeah, I know. Uh, let's wait until we can steal answers from somebody. But I'll, I will take a stab at uh, trying to guess William, even though I I lowballed hard on Marner last year. Like, I had him, like, at 65 or something like that. So, uh, take a look at You had him at less than his I, sophomore year? Yeah, I forget what I was thinking there. Obviously, whatever it was, I was wrong. I had a whole argument that made sense to me at the time. But now looking yeah. back, it's like, yeah, that was stupid. Um but I think Willie is going to rebound, and I think he's going to play most of the year with Austin Matthews, which is going to be good for him. I don't think he's going to be on the first power play unit, probably, although that's not a, like that's not certain. But I think that'll put a bit of a ceiling on him. So I think mid sixties, in terms of yeah, I'm thinking like twenty five goals and I'm thinking roughly yeah twenty forty, like you you can, you can play with it maybe twenty maybe he gets to seventy points with twenty five forty five. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's where I see him. Like, I, I think, uh, the lack of being on power play one is going to impact his, his numbers. I think his even strength scoring will be around average for a first liner, which is fine for us. Yeah. Um, I for think, other players, we'll be pretty happy. So yeah. Yeah. For other for players, nine. he said other players we care about. So, um, I think Martin Marinson will get three goals and <laughs> four assists. Yeah, he will have a 58% Corsi, and he will be a minus 19. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, um, no, who um, else? I mean, Tavares, do you think Tavares flirts with 50 again? No. Yeah, me neither. I, I here's the thing, we're both kind of boring in the sense that we're, we're going to be pessimistic, right? Yeah, because... we, uh, the only thing that I'll, I'll say is that Austin probably should go up if he's healthy the whole year, which is a big if. Yeah. But, like... Again, if he gets a full season, he threatens the Rocket Richard. No yeah, I, in my I, mind, if I, he plays eighty-two games, I would. Depending on the odds, and I haven't seen them if they've even been listed yet, but I don't think Matthews mm-hmm. is a bad bet for the Art Ross. Yeah, like not out of the question by any means. Because I just think has this to is get the games played. You know, I think his stock is at its lowest now, and I think also the fact that we don't have Kadri anymore means that. To some extent, um, Babcock is going to lean on his top lines more. Yeah. Right? And so, so that should benefit, theoretically, Austin Matthews. Yes. And, I mean, Marner, um, I don't... He could prove me wrong. I don't think he's going to rank higher in points relative to the league than he did last year. I would say if you set the over-under for Marner's points at 93.5, I would put a lot of money on the under. Yes. Not that I, I don't like well. him, just that he was fifth in the league in on-ice shooting percentage at 5v5. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I just, you know, I think the odds are it's going to go down. And, and, um, and I've looked into this. I've looked into this for, like, other... Because you can make, I think, a common argument for people to make is, like, well, Marner and Tavares are two elite players. We should expect them to be near the top of the league in on-ice shooting percentage. And you can expect them to be very good in that. But, like, when you look at other dynamic duos, they very rarely sustain, like, 12% on-ice shooting percentages, which is what they did at 5-on-5, five five, which is just absurd, right? Like, if you look at Backstrom and Ovechkin, it's around 10%. McDavid and Dreisaitl, slightly higher than 10%, around 11%, right? And that's, like, I think McDavid probably comes the closest to, like, breaking the rules that we have, right? But even with him, it's hard to consistently be a 12% on-ice shooting percentage player and have that be all talent. 
Yeah. I mean, the only other duo I can think of that ever seemed to do that was Martin St. Louis and Steven Stamkos. At their yeah. Peak. And it's because Stamkos is a freak. Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, none of that's a knock on Marner, though. Like, I think he, he should probably at least threaten and probably clear point a game, which is terrific. Uh, this is assuming he plays the whole year. But, um, yeah, I, I suspect Marner is going to go down slightly. Oh, yeah. Morgan Riley is going to drop in points. And mm-hmm. someone's going to write a What's Wrong with Morgan Riley article. And they might write, uh, uh, you know, Morgan Riley misses Ron Hainsey or something. And it's going to suck. Because there's going to be shooting percentage regression primarily. Um, and there's nothing any of us can do to stop it. So, you know, have fun with that. But, yeah, uh, pretty much. Yeah. Actually, while we're on this topic, Ian Tullock did a, mm-hmm. a good, you know, um, piece on, you know, who are the people who are most likely to regress this next year and i mean for the most part mm-hmm. and this is not a fault of ian at all but for the most part it reads like a list of players who had very high shooting percentages right and yeah. that's i mean and, that's the, the easiest bet in hockey analytics is guys are yeah. going to regress to the mean for shooting percentage yeah and and the leafs had a few of those like Tavares and martyr are notable examples that entire line actually kind of rode percentages even though they, they were a very good line as well um mm-hmm. so i don't think they'll be bad they just won't be as lights out as last year yeah um, yeah, so I think that's a good survey. Uh, <laughs> this is from WMAC147. How about a full hour on ambiguous math equations? That's uh, topical for what was going around the internet this week. Um, I don't want to go too far on this, but I hate when people construct deliberately poor questions that are prone to multiple interpretations so that people will fight about them. Well, what, didn't what uh, annoys me more is people who are, like, very adamant that, like, oh, my interpretation is the right interpretation. It's like, mm-hmm. like, come on. It, like, it's very, like, the one that went around, it was something, it was, like, 8 divided by bracket, or 8 divided by 2, bracket 2 plus 2, and bracket. Mm-hmm. Right? So you could read that as 8, to, 8 over the whole expression, 2 times 2 plus 2, in brackets. Or you could read that as 8 divided by 2 times bracket 2 plus 2. And they give you the answer of 16 or 1, depending on which way you view it as. Both are, I can see how someone could interpret it both ways. Neither is like, right, it's just a bad question. Mm-hmm. It's like misspelling a word and like blaming someone for misreading it. Yeah. I feel that way, I, I mean, not being like a, a mathy person, but I feel that way about like that is the hot dog a sandwich thing that goes around the internet forever. It's just, the real question is define sandwich. And, like, everyone does it differently. And this seems like it's really stupid, which it is. But it's like, this is just a definition of terms thing, man. Like, just figure out what you're talking about. And then it's like, (laughs) it just gets so dumb because it's like, people are basically yelling, I think this word means this, and I think it means that. And there's no resolving that. It's just a difference of opinion. So, anyway, that stuff is bad and the internet is bad. Um, This is from Billy Chili on Twitter. Was the best hockey Twitter moment of the summer the fake Franson PTO tweet? Uh, Billy is taking a well-deserved victory lap here because he wrote a fake tweet about Cody Franson signing a PTO and he got like two or three real reporters to briefly retweet it. Um, yeah, I mean, that was pretty terrific. I'm not going to lie. It was very funny. Yep, agreed. <laughs> um, I think we might slide past this one just on volume. Uh, thanks to Spaceman Leo. 
Uh, because we sort of already answered it, or you did. Do either of you care about microstats? Why or why not? Uh, I think we said, you know, they're interesting, but you have to be really careful about the sample. And so I would use them to a very limited degree. Uh, yeah, I think I, I tend to yeah. view them as, as I said, they say exactly what they say, right? And one mm -hmm. other thing here is that this is one of those situations where percentiles can kind of obscure things. Because in some cases, you're looking at small samples. The difference between the 50th percentile and the 75th percentile in zone exits, in zone exit percentage might be 63% compared to 72%, which in a certain sample might be literally a guy did one more zone exit successfully. Right? So mm -hmm. it's just, you have to be mindful of that sort of thing. When we do have big samples of them, I, I'm a believer in what they say. Right? I'm a believer that zone entries are a big deal. I'm a believer that shot assists are a big deal. It's just a question of getting the data. And, you know, there's people who do great work on getting the data. It's essentially superhuman what they do. Um, but the reality is it's almost impossible to track every single team, every single game manually and do it in a very timely fashion. So as, you know, by necessity, the data lags reality. And that's just the way it is until we get tracking data. And if that data is made public in a useful way, then we can get this in a more streamlined way. And I think then I would be kind of more on board with the current uses for them or with people kind of being more declarative about them. Okay, so this is from Alex Goshen. Uh, how should I feel about Ilya Mikhaev and the Scandinavian defenders we signed? And is there any defending the CC contract that doesn't revolve around usage and hoping for a bounce back? So the first thing is, I think you should assume that anyone we sign from Europe is going to be either a seventh defenseman or 13th forward at best. Mikhaev might be a little bit more than that, but I would be really tentative. Just Yeah, I I, I, I'm basically just going to make my judgment of him in preseason and whenever we see him in the regular season, I, I'm trying to go in with as little of a prior as possible. I, I don't know what to expect. I, I don't know how to translate KHL numbers. There's, you know, people use NHLE. Um, it's not perfect because there is actually a, a huge, huge gulf between like top KHL teams and poor KHL teams and like context really matters there. And, you know, it doesn't account for power play time, doesn't account for teammates. There's so much, it's an average, right? A averages mm -hmm. are, are good, you know, in they're they're not they won't be terribly off in most cases but it doesn't mean it's you know it's not in terms of tools it's closer to a rock than it is a scalpel yeah i think that's a good way of putting it and so you know it's better than nothing but it's not that much better than nothing um in any specific case at least i would say so i would say just um really worth being tentative on that one just hold your fire you never know you know sometimes these turn out really well sometimes they don't and sometimes players who seem like they're going to be quite good are not. And sometimes players can surprise you. So, yeah. Uh, defending the CC contract. The, I mean, I think we've talked about the CC contract a fair bit. But the bottom line to me, it seems to be, is if he wanted to, he could take his qualifying contract at 4.3. And that would be it. And so I guess the extra... Unless, unless you're really willing to... Unless you're really willing to be like kind of a jackass about it and be like okay if you take this you're not going to play and you know we're going to bury you we're going to make your life hell and it's not really how i'd like to do business yeah. frankly yeah um, i've seen people advocating that who like they really just think like you should exert all of your leverage in the most ruthless way and just try and scare guys off from taking any kind of money i have to admit depending on where i was at in cody cc's position i might still take the money 4.3 million dollars is a lot and if the league is catching on to him it might be the last deal of that size he gets 
or 4.5. I think the extra 200k is just a, like, we believe in you and it's nice to have you here kind of thing. But we'll see. Yeah, and um, to be clear, I, I the, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have signed him to the deal no. that we signed him to. Um, it is kind of frustrating. Um, so the, the defense of it is not that CC is good. It's that he's better than the alternatives we could have expected to come onto the market for, at that point. Now, depending on your view, for example, of Kevin Shattenkirk, that might not be true. Right, like, and it, mm-hmm. it became clear after a while that okay, you know, Shattenkirk's gonna be on the way out. If we didn't sign CC, we'd have we could potentially make a competitive offer to Shattenkirk, and he he's in my opinion is better than CC. So, like yeah. that, it's a miscalculation in that sense. CC also prevented us, and I'm gonna harp on this for a second. Um, it prevented us from, for example, making a run at someone like Nikita Gusev, who you know, I've. I've kind of liked him from afar for a while, and a lot of that is based on the fact that Katya, who is very skeptical of many players who come over from the KHL, notably was very skeptical about um, Shipachev, Shipachev, sorry. Um, and she, she was like, Gusev is legit, he's really good, he's going to be very good. So uh, that got me really excited about Gusev, I re- looked more into him, all the numbers are really promising, he's end up, ended up in New Jersey after being traded for two mid-round picks, not very much at all, um, and signed to a four and a half, two year, four and a half million dollar deal, which I think he will probably outperform. Uh, I would have liked the Leafs to be in on that. There's a, this is unfair. We didn't have the cap space. Um, he might not have wanted to come here. You know, it, it, if we, but if we didn't have CC, it would have been more possible. I, I kind of wish we didn't sign CC just so we could make an attempt at that. But anyways, that's, I, I'm not a big fan of the CC contract, although I understand why we did it. I, I don't think it was the best move. Yeah, my my basic opinion on it is that I treated the four point three million as we were going to get it in any way, and then I take the two hundred thousand dollars on top as being essentially nothing. Uh, if you genuinely think that we were going to be able to dispose of this, uh, whether through just absolute ruthlessness in terms of kicking the guy downstairs or whatever you want to do, um, then you can really argue against it. I'm yeah, and and that's fair. Like. In, I, I, I was saying in that last little section that like, oh, without CC, as if it was completely our choice and the reality is it's not. Like I, I wrote about it in, in some detail. And what it came down to is, yeah, CC holds the cards, right? And mm-hmm. it depends on his market, which we don't know from the outside. But my guess is that it's not enormous. So he, yeah. he had incentives to take his qualifying offer. Yeah. I think that that's um, about the bottom line there. Uh, a bonus dis- uh, discussion point. This is also from Alex. Uh, outside the first round, how awful were those Mark Hunter drafts? Um, I mean, I don't think that they were terrific. And I do know that, you know, this isn't entirely hindsight, which is the, the weakness of draft analysis. A lot of smart people at the time were saying they had some misses in the 2016 draft. That said... I don't know that they were really that much worse than kind of typical, you know? If One, if you count 2015, you had Travis Dermott uh, in that draft. You have Jeremy Bracco. Um, you have a couple of maybes like Jesper Lindgren. And then the following year, you have Adam Brooks and you have Carl Grunstrom. It's like, Wasn't that the Dubas draft, the 2015 one, though? Well, the thing is, is that it seems like a, a Kyle Dubas kind of draft. And yet at the same time, I do worry when we think like, was Hunter hired at that point? All the good thing. Hunt. Yes. He was in the organization. Okay. And so there's a lot of dispute as to who was responsible for what, but yeah. you know, like he okay, was in so, charge of scouting. 
Okay. Yeah. No, then then that's fair. I don't I don't remember the I, exact I knew... timing on when he was hired. Yeah, that was the draft that was run by supposedly Hunter and Dubas kind of in tandem because there was mm. no official GM. Lou Lamarillo hadn't been hired yet. Yeah. But uh, Hunter was there. Anyway, I, like the thing is, is that I think that, that you can say that there were some disappointments and it may just be that we aren't going to get a ton of surplus value out of some of those later picks. But I kind of think drafting is a crapshoot and it's not like this is all that much worse than is typical. Like, uh, I you get kind of one hit. Yeah, I'm going to be harsher. Worse? I'm going to be harsher than you. Yeah, but well, because well, I and look, maybe this is biased to some degree because so many of the picks were the exact opposite of what public draft analysis research tells us to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the Matinin pick and the Middleton pick, even at the time, it was like this seems like setting this draft pick on fire, and you know for. It, that's not completely fair because, for example, everyone loved the Dimitro Timoshov pick in 2015, right? Well, Timoshov mm-hmm. tops out probably as a AHL player. Don't see him really being in any shutter. But this is I the could thing least... about fifths, though. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Like uh, I, I could see like... the thought process there in a more coherent way and in a way that like is more empirically sound than I can with Nicholas Madden. Mm-hmm. Right, so yeah, I, mean, I think I, I get that, but I just feel like he's being held to a standard where it's like, look, a fifth, a sixth, they become regular NHL players ten percent of the time. Even right. if you think that, like, if you do an above average, like, really good pick, what is that? Like fifteen percent of the time, you know, like but that. The, the, I think that's uh, a really crude is still failure. It's a really crude it benchmark, crude though. Way. Right, like if your benchmark yeah. is cause, well, because anyone in that time, even if you make good picks, you're probably not going to have it work out. But if we use models and if we use our knowledge to say okay what's the probability of this player working out um which we can you know somewhat reasonably assess and it's a bit less of a crude tool than just saying this guy worked out this guy didn't i think a lot of hunters picks immediately had a very low probability chance of working out like just from jump right and of course he would disagree with me right and, yes and you would uh the, there was a model the reality that is... i saw at one point and mm-hmm. it was at the time of the Keaton Middleton draft, but it actually projected him to have a slightly above average chance of being an NHL player. Yes. Honest to God. Yeah, no, I, I remember that. Um, yeah. The, uh, but yeah, no, the, I get the what thing you're is, saying. And look, a lot of people... Yeah, success scared. is lumpy in this case, right? Like, you can't have 0.5 of a player make the NHL. Your guy either makes the NHL or it doesn't end. It's like, if you went off the board and the guy makes it and he's good, you look like a genius. And if you don't, you mm-hmm. look like an idiot, right? Um... And that's just that's the reality of it. There, there's you can't run this timeline 500 times to see in how many of those universes does Dimitro Timoshov become an NHLer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's always kind of judging by hindsight. But I, I don't think I I think the people who criticized Hunter's picks at the time and had reasoned and nuanced arguments for doing so have been validated by the lack of success of those picks. That's that's probably fair. And I will say this in terms of the critics. The best argument against the case that I've made that most fifth rounders don't work out anyway is that, well, how badly do you expect them to crash? And if a guy's rights expire and he doesn't get any kind of contract, as has happened with Middleton, Madden, etc., um, that is more suggestive, maybe? 
Like mm-hmm. that's not even just not making the NHL. That's not entering the organization. Yeah. And like, again, I, that still happens most of the time. But you can say like, look, there was never any real indication that these guys got especially close. Yeah, like at least with like Timashov. So. Okay, he's become a contributor to an AHL team. And like you could say that has a non-zero effect on our organization. We want to build a good AHL team because that maybe helps our prospects who end up do making the NHL. They play competitive games and whatnot. Timashov mm-hmm. is a part of that, however small it may be. But like if a guy, yeah, yeah, just goes back to junior and three years like, oh, this guy kind of sucks. That's basically a, yeah. a draft pick lit on fire. Yeah. Now that said, the thing that I'll point out is that's mostly what happens. Like, you yes. look at uh, Martin Zirkels, uh, Jesper Lindgren, Stephen Desrochet, Nikita Korostelev. Uh, you know, these are the names of the 2015 entry who didn't go anywhere either. Whereas in 2016, you know, you have Grundstrom, who I think is definitely an NHLer. Uh, you have Joseph Wall, who's an interesting goalie prospect, and you have Adam Brooks, who might still do something. So, I don't know. I, I, I'm just saying that, like, I think that you can say that it was flawed process, and certainly I think the idea of Mark Hunter drafting Savant, who was, like, above average, uh, that seems silly to me. I feel like that was based on him having a an OHL environment where he had a lot of advantages. Mm-hmm. I just, um, I, I think the gap between Mark Hunter and, like, our dream drafting scenario is probably smaller than maybe some people think. I will say I have really enjoyed Kyle Dubas' recent drafts, mostly because smart people told me they were good. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so next up, this is from Steady Rudder. Uh, is it emotionally irresponsible to hope that Sandin and or Liljegren will make the team at some point this year and make an impact? Uh, sports are emotionally irresponsible. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. Dream big. Probably not, though. Yeah. I, like, I, I think, you know, it's not out of the question that you see them. Uh, I, I wouldn't bet on it happening with Sandin, but, you know, uh, Liljegren making a little cameo at some point wouldn't stop. I'll put it this way. If, I, if I'm but... Timothy Liljegren, I'm looking at that Leafs defense court and I'm saying, I need to make their lives, like, I need to make the lives of the coaching staff and the decision makers really really tough in training camp i need them i need to outperform these guys because they're not that good and i need to make them think is this guy ready yes right he has that opportunity i shoot right he's 20 his -hmm. contract is not going to slide anymore which is not the case with sandine um so there's a contractual incentive for the leafs to keep sandine down um so yeah i I think lilligren could appear but when you say make an impact i think people envision like maybe kind of the, the the minimum line of that is probably not just a peer. It might be something like Travis Dermott where you're like a really, really successful third pair defenseman. Yeah. I don't know that I bet on it this year. So hope though. Hope is always good. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him. That's how I would put it. Sandin, mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to see more than a nine game. If that. Yeah, I think contracts have a lot to do with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's just the nature of it. it. Unless, like, Sandin is so good that he forces your hand. And to really force your hand as a left-handed defenseman on the Leafs, like, he would have to be dominating. And that probably isn't going to happen. So, yeah. Um, so this next one is from Mackinac Stats. Uh, should the Leafs sign Amir Garrett for grit against Boston? Amir Garrett is the pitcher who fought all of the Pittsburgh Pirates and made a cool GIF recently. Uh, yeah, someone ought to do it. 
Uh, Serious One, how much do you see the fourth line improving with Patan, Shore, Agostino, Spezza? Um, I'm talking a lot here, but I have some thoughts about this. Do you want to go first? I mean, I was just going to say a lot. Um, <laughs> I think they'll also be trusted in a way that the line with Gote was not really. Um, mm-hmm. And let's not just say the fourth line last year was like, awful and terabad and like uh, it, it, it wasn't the or smithson mclaren line you know it was an okay fourth line i think by by most standards um but i think this one can get a few wins for the leafs right um and actually having tyler ennis on that line helped a lot it, it that gotier more ennis line i think was like not not bad really it was it was pretty decent so I can see them doing kind of a little bit better this year, but the impact of a fourth line is always kind of muted. So I, I'm not, I'm not really like that amped up about it. I think one way it'll help is it does help inure us to injuries because I think a lot of those guys can be capable third liners in mm. in spot duty. Right, the difference between a fourth liner and a third liner is typically not huge. Um, so I think a lot of fourth liners or guys who play on fourth lines can be, you know, the second or third best player on a good third line as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the only thing that I wanted to point out was that even though I think this line in personnel is probably going to be significantly improved, um, Frederick Gauthier's fourth line outshot, out, sorry, outshot also, but outscored its competition. Doesn't mean they were great, and I don't want to start like a plus-minus analysis here, but the fourth line tends to play such a limited amount of ice time, especially, that their performance is even more prone than other players to being kind of submerged by PDO. So even though I think the personnel is going to improve, it's certainly not impossible that like things could kind of go awry on them and the net impact could be surprisingly worse. Um, it could also be you know better. I'm just saying that it's a really volatile thing to measure. So I would kind of be aware of it, but I like the personnel better. The other thing, we have to... Dis- we have to distinguish between the the line with Lindholm and Gauthier on there and the line with, like, Ennis, Gauthier, and more. Right? Because, like, <laughs> I'm actually just looking this up on HockeyViz right now. Uh, Ennis, Gauthier, and more together were 26% better than league average. <laughs> That's preposterous. <laughs> yeah, um, they were 6% worse than league average on offense, and... 32% better than league average on defense. Um, this is in a tiny, tiny sample, by the way, 60 <laughs> minutes. So, like, you know, it's not it's not worth anything. Um, but th- they all, this line also outscored their competition as well, 4-1. to one. Um, So this fourth line, I think, was a solid, pretty good fourth line, actually. Uh, so th- th- there aren't, like, huge gains to be made there. Now, the line with Gauthier and Lindholm, yeah, that, that was not as good. <laughs> yeah so i mean it's kind of it's worth looking at it's always good to improve it's always good to have as you said more injury depth and i think they are better i'm just saying the gains may not be as easily realized there uh and you know they're subject to a lot of volatility um yeah, yeah. J- just to, just uh, just for fun i checked uh gotier and Lindholm together in 218 minutes they were 15 percent worse than the <laughs> average 37 percent worse on offense and 22% better on defense. So this is like the standard 
slow a fourth line that slows down the entire game so in a sense their ratio almost doesn't matter because nothing like, happens they're hugely negative all. on both ends and yeah they're worse on offense than they are defensively but it almost doesn't matter because there's so few events that they're actually getting outscored and outshot by a small amount yeah overall minus 37 is insane and yet at the same time that's consistent with how i feel about goji and Lin. <laughs> um okay so this one is from mostly leafies do Nylander's cornrows bolster his case for moving up in the best hair rankings of the NHLPA's player pool, or should he be automatically disqualified from contention? Hmm. I would say go for it. I think that <clears throat> makes him higher, just because it's interesting, if nothing yeah, else. We need more personality in the NHL. Uh, I do think that, um, and this yeah. is also something that I thought about Patrick Laine's beard, sometimes I think William is just experimenting with what can I do and still be beautiful? You know, like it's it's not even challenging for him anymore to just look good. So he has to try extremely weird stuff just to, you know, feel alive or excited. I'm pretty sure he still, you know, does okay on the romance market. So, yeah, he's innovating. Um, okay. Uh, moving on. Uh, this one is from BR Street Law. So... I don't quite understand the number he's getting up here, but I think I get the general thrust of it. So it says, let's say 2020 cap increase plus CC's contract expiring gives the Leafs about 5.7 million in cap. I think he means above what's expected or something, but he says, do you extend Barry and Dermot? Do you extend Muzzin and Dermot? Do you trade Dermot if you can keep Barry and Muzzin? Do you downgrade Hyman to uh, an ELC or 700K player if you can keep all three defensemen? Um, first of all, any question where you suggest getting rid of Zach Hyman is automatically banned from the podcast, but putting that aside, um, I think it really depends how this year goes, you know, like you want to see how Barry and Muzzin and Dermot all do before you make decisions right now. It's a bit of a cop-out yeah. answer, but yeah. Um, Barry's going to cost a lot. Barry's going to be really hard to keep. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure he's worth yeah, it. I don't know if I want his next contract. Um, maybe if this goes like super well, but the better it goes, the higher the money is, you know, it's kind of a no win. Um, I like Muzzin a lot, except he's old. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, with, with Barry, my issue is that we still don't have a ton of evidence that he actually drives goals for his team. I know his goals for Rel is actually quite positive, but when you look at his RAPM in terms of goals for, so it, essentially his goal impact over the last few years adjusted for his teammates and competition and everything it's not that great it's like average um so i still do have concerns about that i think he's going to be paid a lot because he puts up a ton of points and because he is such a you can't watch a game that tyson berry plays and not notice him your eyes are drawn to him because he's so kind of magnetic mm -hmm. right uh and so dynamic as well um i would come closer to to extending muzzin the the age thing is a, is a concern and it depends on his ask again uh, muzzin's going to be someone who's quite well looked at around the league so if you can get him i don't know it's, it's so hard to say at this point i don't know what his ask what a reasonable ask is going to be he doesn't put up points but he is like a the Leafs' only really good defensive defender. Um, so I'd, I'd be closer to keeping 
Muzzin, then Barry. Dermot, I would like to extend now, but that's because I'm high on Dermot. I think if we extend him now, we get a chance to actually lock in some below market value. Um, you know, a below, we, we can get a below market value deal and ultimately a player who outperforms it. And the Leafs are actually kind of sorely lacking in that now because all of our top players are being paid fairly. Yeah, except Morgan Riley. Except Riley, but that's going to change in two years. So. Yeah. Speaking of contracts I might not like, Riley in two years. Uh, yeah, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> He's, uh, I expect he'll clear $10 million when the time comes if his points keep going up, just the way inflation goes. But anyway, mm-hmm. yeah, so unfortunately yeah. it's a bit of a cobble, but I will say wait and see on all those. You extend Dermot now, I agree, if you can for a reasonable amount, but for the same reason if I'm Dermot, I might want to wait and see a little bit. It depends on the person, but yeah. But that's the thing. I, I want to, like, if I'm if I'm signing Dermot now, I have in my back pocket, I can say, you haven't been played in a top four role. And in my head, I think I can think, I think you're capable of it, but you haven't shown it yet, and I should get a discount right. for that. Right? Um, what I don't want, I don't want him to be in the bottom pair the entire year. Yes. Right? I want him to at least see some action where he faces actual NHL competition. Right, and if, if if Babcock doesn't feel he's ready for that, then that's a sign that we should not really assign him to much beyond, you know, what a good third pairing guy gets. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I was thinking, you know, like the guy he has to displace is like Cody CC. It's like, come on, the <laughs> the door should be open there, um, in the eyes of the coaching staff. Yeah, and and this is one thing, this is one thing I will criticize Babcock for. Like he, it's been annoying to me that he has not made more of an effort to put Dermot there at, at some times. And I know he probably wasn't ready for it, right? And this is something that Katya and I have argued about back and forth a, a few times. But, like, you know, Babcock doesn't typically tend to put players in positions where he thinks they'll fail. So you, you can argue that he thinks Dermot would fail in that position. But, like, we need to figure it out at some point, right? Like, you need the information. Yeah. And, you know, his safety options are not always the best. I thought Ron Hainsey was maybe a better safety option than people thought. I'll say this. I don't think he was great by any means. I think he was like played way over his head, but like I didn't think he was as awful as he was sometimes perceived to be. Uh, unless Cody Cece has a big step forward and like bigger than I'm expecting, he's going to be really underwater. So I guess we'll find out. Um, yeah. This is from TTOT. Uh, is Tyson Berry the best, least right-handed defenseman since 2000? Yes. Almost certainly by default. The next guy up is Yuskevich, I think. Yeah. So, it's like, how far back do you have to go to find someone better? Uh, maybe it's Berard, pre-injury. But even then, Barry is probably better now than Berard was. So I really have to think about it. I mean, <laughs> do you go back mm-hmm. to Tim Horton in the 60s? I don't know. Um, yeah, the point is we've never had really good right-handed defensemen in my lifetime. So uh, this next one is from Warwalker. What evidence is there that the fate of the universe is larger than the Leafs? None whatsoever. Um, next one is from Aflow66. Top three non-hockey podcasts to listen to and top three hockey podcasts. Your podcast is not eligible. Is this a safe spot to admit that I don't listen to that many podcasts? I can name a couple of Leaf ones, but... Uh, I mean, obviously, the Leaf Geeks one are our good buddy Ian Tullock, and then real good pros. Uh, that that's my favorite. That's my favorite other Leafs yeah. podcast. So so yeah, I would say 
I'm trying to think yeah, of the others. Obviously, the Steve Dangle is like... Dangle's podcast is more like... It's more general NHL, and it's more... It, it, it's less like analysis heavy than ours. It's like more fun to listen to, yeah, probably. It's an entertainment. Uh, and, you know, that, that's um, cool. Uh, yeah. Actually, this is maybe a good place to just transition, but we had one comment. It's like, why are you guys so like kind of low-key and you sound like you're chatting over coffee? And we absolutely are that. Um, just that's kind of what we do. You know, it, the thing about about Steve is he's a great entertainer and he's always going to be that pure, that vibrant presence. And frankly, if I tried to be Steve Dangle, I would end up being like a fifth-rate Steve Dangle. <laughs> so... We'll just be happy doing yeah, our own. I, I, the, the same way. Yeah. The same way if Steve pretended to be someone like like me with like with my math background or you with your like law and CBA background. Yeah. Like it wouldn't really work for him. It wouldn't work for us if we tried to be someone like Steve yeah. Dangle. Because um, it, it'd be inauthentic. Yeah, exactly. Like he's made it by being uh, the best and most entertaining version of himself. himself. So if you've made it this far, you definitely can appreciate yeah. us being nerdy. So thank you for that. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I would think that, and yeah, obviously, uh, real good pros. We've had Yancina on here, and they're very nice and cool people. Um, yeah, real good pros is, is a really good part. I think they don't get enough attention. I think they're 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 very fun to listen to. Very, it's very cathartic. I think to listen to yeah, them. They're just having um, a good time. I think they really kind of encapsulate. That, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it. I mean, it is. It's three people who know hockey and know the Leafs and are good friends with one another shooting the shit and that, that's always fun to listen to and it's it's informative as well I, I I think very highly of that one in terms of non-hockey podcasts um uh, <laughs> I literally don't listen to non-hockey podcasts I used to listen to the low post oh yeah exactly. the low post is the best basketball podcast <laughs> in my opinion um Nate Duncan another basketball podcast that is like it's even nerdier than ours, if you can believe that. Uh, what? Like it, it's there's times where it's super super dry, but like they really really know basketball. They know the CBA in and out. It's two people who used to be oh, lawyers. God. Worst people in the world. Um, so, yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, so those are two really excellent NBA podcasts. Um, I listen to what else do I listen to? I have like quite a few podcasts on the go, but I'm kind of like I'm touch and go with most of them, except for the, those two basketball ones. I listen to pretty much every episode of those ones. Um, I listen to the Checkered Flag podcast because I'm trying to get into F1, which is which is pretty interesting. But I don't know enough about F1 to know if they're actually like mm. informative or if I just don't know enough, right? So it's hard to say. Um, Bill Simmons's podcast actually is like kind of the first really big sports podcast, wasn't it? He, yeah, he's been. So huge I guess at that. you get points yeah. to that. Although I I don't. Yeah. yeah, he was the first guy I remember doing podcasts, and he was one of the earliest to realize how potentially powerful it was and how like monetizable it is apparently most of the ringers revenue comes from podcasts and podcast advertisements yeah he's um he's talented he's a good curator i i gotta say like i find so much of his stuff like super self-indulgent that it's kind of oh it's incredibly yeah. self-indulgent and it, it, it has not aged well like if you read his stuff from like 2005 it's like wow that is like really sexist yeah, yeah it's bad well his thing is is like he's like <laughs> He was like the guy at the bar who has like 15 TV references and all that sort of stuff. And uh, he also like his big thing for a while was how hard it was to be a Boston sports fan, which, you know, the last 20 years have made that hysterical. Like, has there been any city in the history of the world more blessed with sports championships than Boston the last 20 years? But 
Anyway, that said, I shouldn't probably throw stones about self-indulgence because I am a guy on a podcast and that immediately means that I'm as bad as anyone. So, Yes, exactly. Um, so next up, from Mike Vetteretti, uh, I feel like the 2020-2021 season will be the Leafs' best chance to win a cup in the next five years. Agree or disagree? Ah, uh, I don't know about that. I think that that's kind of... That's very hard to predict, just given the year-over-year change. I agree with him, so? actually. Like, that's the opening? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I would... Uh, I think his wording is key. It's, it's the best chance, not yeah. the only chance. Yeah. I think that's probably when our percentages are highest, because that's the best combination of Riley still cheap, Anderson still good, Matthews, Marner, Nylander are prime or pretty much in it, Tavares is still very good. That's probably our best shot. Now, you know, our best shot might be an 8% chance, right? Or something yeah. like that. Sports so, are a mistake, kids. Uh, you know, it's, it's all relative. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, I think off the top of my head, and yeah. things can change. Like if Sandin becomes, I don't know, Eric Carlson 2.0, then okay, then suddenly our chances change. But yeah, I think that's our best shot. And also, actually, speaking of Sandin and Lilligren, that's when they are conceivably ready to actually contribute in a meaningful way to a good team. So Yeah, I think, yeah, you know what, it's fair. That's a good case for why that might be the best. I just think, um, you, you know, I am thinking of how much can change. You know, if this prospect works out, if this prospect doesn't work out, you know, chances change. I, I'm mostly thinking of um, how often we thought the Capitals, for example, were done. And then, you know, that said, the Capitals won in a year that I would not have considered their best chance to win a cup. They just knocked on the door long enough and it opened. So. Yes, yes, it's worth, like, that, that's a good point. You know, all, all you can do in the NHL is keep giving yourself decent enough mm-hmm. chances, right? Like, this last year, almost certainly was Tampa's best shot to win. Yeah. They didn't. But they're going to keep trying. And, you know, you give yourself... Five, ten percent chances enough times, and hopefully you get lucky once. Unless you're the San Jose Sharks, R.I.P. But um, yeah, so mm. uh, from Southpaw Cal, is Ottawa still an NHL team slash organization in name only? Would be my answer to that. This, you know, this is actually a very interesting question because it, it's they're getting to the point where we can basically say what's the lowest amount of wins an NHL team can get just by the nature mm-hmm. of hockey. Because to my eyes, they have like two to three above average NHL players. Brady Kachuk, Thomas Shabbat, Pajot, maybe, depending on where you draw the line for average. Um, who else? Colin White. I don't know if he's above average, yeah. but he's an NHL at least. And then everyone else is replacement yeah, level. Uh, like, yeah, Pajot maybe is above replacement level. And he's maybe a little bit. And then anyone else who is not like findable on the waiver wire is on an ELC. Like, that's it. Um, At a certain point, you do wonder if there's, like, some incentive for the league to step in. I think it's a long way off. I, You know, I don't think the league has any interest in interfering um, there before they have to. Melnick is doing a really, really bad job there. So... If they don't hit on their draft picks, see where we're at in a few years and see if there starts to be some pressure from above. But, yeah. Anyway, watch. We've jinxed it now, and they're going to ride a PDO bender and make the playoffs. But, um... <laughs> yeah. From uh, Peter Kostansky, 
Uh, do you think Neuwirth will be signed following his PTO? And if he does, will be he be a successful backup? I mean... I feel like this entirely depends on preseason performance. Yeah. I will say probably I think he will be signed. Will he be successful? I like his chances, but I thought Jonas Enroth was going to be good, and he had six bad games, and that was the end of him. You know? <laughs> I, I like his chances, is how I would put it with Neuberth. Like, I think he's a decent enough backup. Yeah, I mean, I I think there's no way of knowing until we see them yeah, in action. Yeah, it's just it's too crazy. Uh, from Thomas Wishloff, what films have you seen this year? Oh, God, you know, we, we opened the door on pop culture, and we're going to get owned. Um... <laughs> Which films have you seen this year that best correspond to describing Leafs players and management? Um, what films have I seen this year? John Wick 3, because that's what Austin Matthews feels to me like when he comes down with the puck. Just killing everything in sight. Um, um, I, don't, I don't think I've watched a movie this year. I only, I only watch movies on planes. <laughs> and I'm trying to think of what I watched like on my most recent trips, but I don't think I watched movies on those particular trips. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, I, I literally haven't watched a single movie this God, year. God, Arvind. We gotta, I, I mean, now I understand how you have such a deep knowledge of sports because you just don't follow movies. Um, well, it's because I literally don't do anything exactly. else. Well. This podcast is a cry for help. <laughs> Uh, send films and popular culture. Uh, yeah, I will say I like my John Wick comparison to Austin Matthews. It is so hard because I don't see like quality movies a lot of the time. Like I just see like something like my buddies are sort of like, hey, let's go see this. And I'm like, yeah, all right. I like moving pictures. So I, I saw that. I saw like the Pokemon movie, which was more entertaining than maybe I thought it would be. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, how much would you be okay with the Leafs signing Shattenkirk for? This is from uh, St. Joe Ludd. Um, I mean, up to a whatever space yeah, we have. It's a it's a question of really what's available. Like up to a million, you can always kind of make that work. And then like we've talked a bit about you know Catch's thing about like why are you signing a guy for a million five? If we could make it fit, Shattenkirk might be an exception because I think he's still probably. Well, yeah, because yeah. her thing with why have you, why are you signing a guy for 1.5 mil? It's like either this guy isn't that good and you can replace him with a 700k mm-hmm. guy or you should replace him with someone better if he's important to you. Well, the problem is we've tried that with, like, for a variety of reasons, with Leafs don't have that right defenseman who is actually yeah. good, right? Except for Barry. But we still need one more. Uh, so, yeah, like, it's... I, I, I'd sign Shattenkirk to literally whatever cap room we have. Yeah, it's basically whatever's available because I think Post-Marner. genuinely that goes yeah, without he's saying. Our second best um, right-handed defenseman if we get him. So yeah, uh, yeah. Shatner Shaman thoughts of the, on the 2019 Canadian election this fall? Ooh, spicy. Um, all right. Uh, first off, go yeah. vote if you're if you're able to vote. It's yeah. important. Like, I'll be entirely frank with everyone here. I do the same thing most elections, which is I figure out which of the liberals and the NBP is leading in my writing. And I do a little back of the envelope calculation to try and figure out who has the best chance to win. And then I vote for one of them. Um, I, I, yeah. I'm shamelessly partisan here, but for a lot of reasons, it'll be a cold day in hell before I vote conservative. So, sorry. 
<laughs> I I can't bring myself to vote for any political party that does not really view climate change mm -hmm. as a thing. Um, the way the <laughs> conservatives have kind of, I I know they say, oh, you know, we have other plans for climate change that aren't, for example, the cap and trade, which has its own set of problems, mm -hmm. but whatever. Um, but the the reality is they they don't really care about that sort of thing, uh, based on their public platform, anyways. And also, I'm a brown dude, so it'd be kind of weird if I voted for an openly Islamophobic um, prime minister. Yeah. So, so yeah. Sorry. That probably tells you enough. <laughs> B2E coming out coming out hard in terms of being like a center left podcast. Who would have guessed? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I, I don't think it's that shocking to anyone who follows either of us on Twitter. These two so. nerds from Toronto aren't, don't seem very sympathetic to the right wing. Weird. Um, this is from War Deadly. Uh, is being a Leafs fan in Edmonton a good thing or a bad thing? Ooh. <laughs> well, you're in Edmonton, so it's a bad thing. Like, being anything in Edmonton oh, is a bad man. thing. I don't know. I mean, the thing is, is that for the longest time, it would have been like you're kind of the punchline but for a few years now the Leafs have been unequivocally better now and better for the future than Edmonton has been so uh you probably have more bragging rights now than you've had at any point in the combined history of the two franchises I would say so that's a plus yeah most likely um this next one is now we're getting into the PPP article comments from Exit Steve Left, if you had $1,000 to give Kyle Dubas or Mike Babcock to say absolutely anything you chose live during a press conference, and they had to say it, what would you have them say? Um, this is putting aside that, you know, Kyle Dubas and Mike Babcock both earn enough money that $1,000 is kind of jump change. But um, I think I would kind of want to make Mike Babcock just be like, William Nylander is a great star player. He's valuable to our team and he competes 100%. For the absolutely shameless reason that it would piss off a certain segment of the hockey internet. <laughs> like, that'd be a good use of money. I would... You know, I, I wouldn't give Dubis something to say, but I would want him to say what his true thoughts are on the Mitch Marner negotiation. Ooh, that's a good answer. Get some truth serum in there. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that that that's basically what it comes down to. And then maybe I would, I would get, you know, maybe something similar to you. I, I would get Babcock. I'll get Babcock to, um, like, in the most direct way possible, say his true thoughts on Jake Gardner, just so we we can shut people <laughs> up who who think that Jake Gardner sucks. It, it won't actually work. No, it of won't. Course, I mean, but, he's come so close to saying it before um, too, like. He's kind of been like, he's really yeah. good and important to us. But, uh, okay. In your opinion, who is the greatest Maple Leaf of all time? Not just the greatest player, but the greatest person to ever work for the organization. And uh, this is from Brewski. And he gave the answer already that I think I'm going to give, which is Johnny Bauer. Yeah, Was it Johnny Bauer? I mean, just a yeah. great guy. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, think, I think that Johnny Bauer has to win because he was... So good as a goalie and also so so great as a person. Um, yeah, and it, it's it's a real shame that the Leafs couldn't you know win the cup uh, before he passed away. Unfortunately, yeah. um, which teams had the most and least impressive off seasons? Um, we covered that a little bit uh, or a lot a bit in our survey of the yeah. league. But uh, this is from Jeff GM, by the way. I, I would say 
Devils most impressive and Pittsburgh least impressive to me. Are we including like like uh, the Senators are the least impressive? Sure, the Senators are the least impressive. They've, they've gutted in half terms the roster, of, like existence. But like, I don't think that. Yeah, because I mean, they were the worst team in the league, and now they're they're still the worst team yeah, in the league. But I don't think the changes that they made made them worse. They just suck. Like yeah, fair. Smith um, for Anisimov maybe makes them like an inch better. Pe- <laughs> like yeah, Penguins is a good shout. Um, the Canucks Ooh. don't really get what they're doing. Yeah. I worry I do get it, and I think that's the problem. I think that they're screwed up. Um, yeah, I, I think I'll go with uh, Devils. I mean, the Rangers also had a big offseason, and I think if you, you know, adding Panarin and True, but like unequivocally, they're a lot better than they were. Um, the long term results are going to be interesting to follow, but yeah, I, I would go Devils and Penguins respectively. Um, yeah. Yep, I agree. Okay, so. That, that's a fair thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. For purely aesthetic reasons, uh, and he says, i.e. not to make the Habs wear brown poop jerseys, which team's uniforms, color scheme, and logo would you completely revamp, and what would you replace their current look with? So, like, I guess this is which team you think really needs uh, a total rebrand in terms of their logos. Um, Ottawa. Yeah. Ottawa's a big one. Yeah. I, I want to be clear here. Um... I want to separate the fact that I laugh at Ottawa always because it's funny with my honest opinion here, which is I really think that their logo and their jerseys look pretty bad and they're a waste of a decent-ish color scheme. Mm. Um, if, a couple other ones. I would say the Ducks as well. It's it's just too boring. Honestly, I like the Ducks purpley jerseys. Like, they were garish as fuck, but they were fun. I kind of enjoyed them. Yeah. I think I think lean into it. Like I know they're not owned by Disney yeah. anymore. You're dumb. Like <laughs> like lean into the Anaheim, Southern California aesthetic. Yeah, absolutely. I think the Kings are really really boring right now. Again, speaking of purple, I think more teams should have their guts to use purple. Um. So yeah, I, given a choice, I I think the Panthers. Mm. I like the Panthers logo though. Panthers as well. I know it looks soccer to me. The, the logo's cool. Yeah. It's a little a little uninspiring. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I would say probably if I have to pick one, I think the Kings are really wasting an opportunity because that kind of ranger badge that they have there that's all black and silver, I think that's boring and kind of cowardly. Like, you're a king. Look like a king. Don't look like a robot. So, yeah, I would go with something purple and I would get, like, the crop. The crown logo in there more. Mm-hmm. Um, next up on our long list. Okay, so this one was really um, involved, and unfortunately, I don't think we have the wherewithal to answer it fully, but it was, what would your Leafs team look like if you could only choose two players per decade to fill the roster? Uh, players can have been on the Leafs in multiple decades, Clark in the 80s and 90s, but you can only choose them once, and you have to specify yeah, this is a, a really involved and fascinating question that unfortunately is maybe beyond the scope of the podcast. But it is interesting to kind of survey like who were the best players in a given decade. And you'll also be reminded that the Leafs for about 25 years were abject garbage <laughs> with a few bright spots. Um, 
Right. Yeah. Between like 1968 and 1991, when people do the 1967 chants and all that sort of stuff, really that's the dead period. And it's entirely because we had the worst ownership in the league, probably. Or very bad. Like we had Melnick caliber ownership, except how Harold Ballard was actually rich. He was just a horrible human being and he was cheap. So I think actually maybe we ought to be more sympathetic to what Melnick is doing to the Sens because we kind of have that in our history. Like the wasted 23, 24 years in, in the middle of that stretch that leads to this slump is ownership. Then anyway, in the 70s, you know, you had uh, Daryl Sittler and Lanny McDonald and Borja Salming into the 80s. Um, I think it would be interesting to kind of incorporate those kind of players. The 80s are a bit of a wasteland. Like you probably put Wendell Clark in there. Uh, 90s, you could argue for Gilmore and Andrzejczyk. 2000s, you got to have Sundin in there somewhere. And then this decade, I, I think I want Matthews. At some point, I have to find a defenseman, though, <laughs> which we've never had. Um, it's interesting to survey all of these these eras. And uh, some people answering this actually went back as far as, like, the 1920s, which I don't know how to do, so... <clears throat> Yeah, it, it's it's an interesting question. I I don't have anything yeah, to add there. I, I apologize. I'm not doing it full justice, but uh... yeah, it's it, it's a question that deserves its own podcast. Really, I, I think um, Steve had exit. Steve left had a an answer to that, and his answer I think was quite yeah. good. I'll uh, um, I'll actually I'll quote him here. Uh, the top line was Austin Matthews, mm-hmm. Gerald Sittler, and Rick Vive from the 2010s, 1970s, 1980s. Mahovlich, Tavares, and then Teeter Kennedy. Teeter Kennedy is worth an aside from the 1950s. Um, if you're wondering when the last time the Leafs had the best player in the world, uh, the answer is arguably maybe never, but Teeter Kennedy was pretty close in the 1950s. Uh, Apps, Sundin, and Conacher is your third line. Gilmore, Dave Keon, and Bailey. Uh, Borja Salming and Tim Horton on the top defense pair. Caberlet and McCabe. The classic, and Clancy and Clark. I think he's using Wendell Clark um, on the defense, which probably tells you something. <laughs> um, Clark was drafted as a defenseman, but he played forward in the NHL. But the Leafs throughout their whole existence have always been forward heavy. It's not a recent thing. And then he had Chirk Broda and Ross Roach and goaltending. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Steve, for that, because that's a better answer than we were going to give. Uh, this next one's from The Humor is Ironic. If you had to give up one thing for the rest of your life to guarantee a Leafs Cup win in the next two years, what would it be? And someone put a gloss on this to say, what would be the most difficult thing to give up than, that you would still agree to give up? Because, like, I can give up smoking or something, something that I don't do. Um, yeah. Um, this is tough. For me, it's candy. Ooh. Yeah. I have a really big sweet tooth. I always... I have I eat a lot of candy and a lot of sweets in general. Mm-hmm. Um so like I probably do have like a sugar addiction mm-hmm. at this point. So I mean it's actually a win win. I, I could give it up, I'd become much healthier, and then we'd also win a cup. <laughs> yeah. But it'd be tough. Yeah. The the one that's right on the fence for me is caffeine. Um I'm not sure I could do it, honestly. That's like my I don't think you could either, <laughs> to be honest. I'm so, I'm sorry to doubt you. 
Harsh but fair. Yeah, Arvin is recalling that before this podcast went to air, I guzzled a Monster Energy drink because that was what I had handy. Um, I'm better than I used to be. When I worked in law, I was what they would call a caffeine addict. I was having an amount that they were like, this is a substance abuse problem with caffeine. But... Um, that's not uncommon in the law, though, no, is it? No, well, it's just it's the hours. And, you know, like you're in your office at, yeah. um, you know, 5 p.m. or something, and you're thinking, okay, I still got to do another six hours of work or something. The temptation is there. But, like, anyway, I, I'm somewhat improved from what I was then. But giving that up for the Leafs, that would be a real sacrifice. If I did it, I want a medal. They got to put me on Legends Row. <laughs> um, this next one is from The Bag. How much better are Kapanen Janssen than the cheap winger depth you can always get on July 1st, like uh, Agostino or Aberg? And would the Leafs be foolish to keep both Cappy and Janssen going into next season? Or is the desire to keep them much more than the endowment effect at work? He's saying, you know, basically, should you clear out these kind of guys who are making three, three and a half million and just only use 700k guys? Um, I, I would say, say no. no. I, I maybe this is endowment effect, but by basically all metrics, Kapanen and Janssen are both like solidly above average wingers, like easily guys who are good second liners, mm-hmm. right? Like they, they they score at good rates. Both of them have had pretty good uh, play driving impacts, and you could say you know put anyone next to Tavares and Marner and they'll do well, right? You can get rid of Hyman that way. Um, and, you know, you, there, there's some truth to that, for sure. Tavares and Marner are clearly the two most important players on that line. They certainly elevate Zach Hyman in a way that a lot of other players could provide some facility of what Hyman does. But Hyman is still useful. And I know this question wasn't about Hyman, but it's the same thing. With Matthews and Janssen, for example. If we, if we play Matthews, Janssen, and Neander together, Janssen's clearly the third best player on that line. But he still brings something to the yeah. table. He's still useful. I don't really think you would get the same production by putting Nick Patan there. Yeah, I think that that's... Like, yeah. I, I like I think Janssen is better than that, right? So, and it, it's hard to assess because we don't truly know. We, It's hard to separate out teammate effects. The only way to know is just to do, like, a double-blind experiment, really, and we can't do that. Yeah. Right? This is one of the tough things with sports. You, you have to make decisions before the data can make you really confident in whatever decision you're making. But by all the metrics we have, Kapanen and Janssen are both in of themselves, excellent players with real talents of their own. They're not just passengers. They're like good players who can be important parts on good teams. Yeah. The other thing that I might note is that you have to spend the money somewhere. And, you know, we'd like to say, oh, spend it all on superstars, but those are unlimited supply and availability. So you have to do something with all your money. And even granted, we're paying our stars a lot of money. I don't think any of them are especially underpaid except Riley, um, we still have money left over that ought to go somewhere. There's a decent argument that the best value for Buck that you're going to get is from a class of players that have their salaries suppressed, which is RFAs. Like, there's a decent chance that just inherently um, one of the best ways to get value for money is restricted free agents. Uh, I think the gap is significant enough that I am quite happy with those contracts. So I would say it's an interesting question. But yeah, yeah, me too. I'm glad to have them both. <laughs> For what it's worth, um, 
isolated threat has both of them as above average play drivers with above average shots mm -hmm. right so that's like that's a good spot to be yeah. in there's a bit of an unfair answer here but i can't help it bringing it to mind the example of the team that has a few stars and then surrounds them with guys who make 700k is the edmonton oilers so <laughs> yes and you can do it more capably than edmonton has yeah. done it but I think you also do need some guys around them. Like, even if you look at Pittsburgh, who have kind of shuffled guys around Crosby, they've always had a guy for a couple seasons and who has been actually good. Like Chris Kunitz was an actually mm -hmm. good player. He was not as good as Crosby made him look, in my opinion, but he was still a right. good player. Jake Gensel is a good player. They're going to keep him for a while, right? Like You keep those players who fit in well with your stars because they take you know their intrinsic talent and it's multiplied to an even higher level. So, I mean, you can say that the stars elevate Janssen and Kappen and whatever. Um, but Janssen and Kappen, even aside from that, are better than those 700k players, right? I, I don't believe that their success is entirely a product of who they play with. And the same is true of Chris Kunitz and Jake Gensel and Connor Sherry, even. Yeah, I'd agree with all that. Uh, so next up is from Katja, our boss. Uh, First, I would like you to each ask the other a question with no prep or advanced warning, something you really want to know. Uh, well, I can honestly say that I haven't prepared for this because I did not see this question until I checked back now. Um, Me neither. Yeah. Um, How many more questions do we have to um, do? Three. So. Okay, cool. That was my <laughs> question. I, I, got, I got the easy one out of the way. Oh, damn it, Arvin. Uh, you outmaneuvered me. Okay. Um, when the time comes up on Freddie Anderson, how much do you think he's going to make, and are you going to be willing to pay it? I think he's going to make, like, $8 million or so. Um, and I'm assuming he has two more seasons similar to last year, where he has good but not great superficial numbers, and very nice numbers when you look under the hood because the Leafs defense is a tire fire. Mm -hmm. And by that, I don't mean their defense core. I mean their defensive play. Yeah, It applies to both, but just to be yeah. clear. Um, and at that point, so that's, that's two seasons from now, right? Two off seasons from now. And the cap will be, I don't know, in the mid to high 80s. So yeah, I'm predicting... I'm predicting... 8 million roughly uh, on the cap at that point um, and I won't like it but I will hold my nose and do it mm -hmm. and look a lot depends on what happens between them if, if Ian Scott or Joe Wall starts killing it in the minors then I'm you know maybe I don't do that deal for Anderson but good goaltending is hard to find like we, we made this analogy last time but it, it's it's like air right you know if if you don't have it all you can think about is how do i get it yeah right because it invalidates your team if you have bad goaltending yeah this is an off-remark point but that one year where vesatoskala put up like an 890 or something in like the doldrums of the 2000s leafs uh there was a year where the leafs were like fourth in the league in corsi and it just did not matter because they had terrible goaltending. They missed the playoffs. So, yeah. Uh, I tend to agree with you. Um, Follow-up question was, if you were to make a browser extension to substitute a word or a phrase for offer sheet, what would you pick? 
Um, hmm. Romantic dinner. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah, six months ago I would have said because then it then yeah. it no because because then it's like it it really steps up like kind of the the connection between like them trying to like court and woo these free agents. <laughs> Are the Habs going to take Sebastian Ajo to a romantic dinner? <laughs> um, yeah, like six months ago, I would have said like unicorn hair or something like that because they never really happened. But now that they actually do, sort of again, rarely and ineffectually, uh, I do like romantic dinner. Uh, <laughs> um, it's a bit morbid, but it, it's kind of funny to... Um, to think of like glitter bomb it's like they're gonna send him a glitter bomb or something and i like to envision like darren ferris opening a box and just, like, <laughs> it explodes all over his face and he's all sparkly uh <laughs> you know that's my answer yeah that's a good one as well um and finally uh we have a bunch from not norm allman who is a frankly deranged old man who uh, hangs around our site we've been unable to eject him and uh at least some of these are directed at me personally uh, why do you write so long? Because uh, I can't help it. Uh, what is your favorite fish? Insofar as I have a fish opinion, it's like salmon, I guess. And how much would you... Um, <laughs> do you have a favorite fish? Wait, like fish to eat or like favorite he fish in general? He did not specify. So, you, you know, you have to put your own spin on it. Um, I mean, I don't know. I guess, I guess sharks are cool. <laughs> That's true. And then finally, how much would you pay Kevin Shattenkirk to change his name to Shittenchurch? <laughs> <laughs> okay. It, it, it's, part of, it's part of the condition. I mentioned before I'd give him all, my, all our cap space that we have after Sounding Martyr. <laughs> yeah, I would um, do that under the condition that he changes his name to Shittenchurch. <laughs> that was pretty good. Um, yeah, and so remarkably... Uh, that was the last question. I think we have outdone ourselves. Uh, we had our longest podcast ever last time, and now we just nearly beat it. So, wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, so if you made it this far in the podcast, thank you for listening. Um, I'm, I'm like so discomposed. I'm so exhausted from this podcast where I'm, I'm struggling to do the outro. Uh, but you can find all of mine and Fuleman's work at pensionplanpuppets.com. Currently, we are in the midst of the Leafs' top 25 under 25 where we count down uh, the Leafs' best players that they have, you know, their NHL rights or signed to an NHL contract um, under the ages of 25. Number one may surprise you. It won't, actually. It's Austin Matthews. Um, but numbers two through 24 may where I think we're at, we just finished the first four or first five. And it's always a good time. It's a good chance to learn more about the prospects, learn more about their paths, and also yell at people online about arbitrary rankings. <laughs> so definitely check that out. You can also follow us on Twitter at RVNATFoleman. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you soon.